0: It's 5 p.m. on a Friday in Boston, Massachusetts, one of those damp New England days when all you want to do is slide out of your wet coat, warm your hands, and order a drink at a cozy bar. This particular bar has a speakeasy vibe, heavy velvet curtains and dark wood accents. But that's not the first thing you notice when you walk in. We sent reporter Amory Sievertson to go check it out. It's like a full-sized, much taller than me, probably like seven or eight foot tall picture. A black and white photograph of a woman. And she has her hatchet in her left hand. She has her Bible in her right hand. And she looks almost kind of nun-like, dressed in all black with like a white bib-looking thing. And her facial expression says, don't fuck with me. Amory spoke to a manager at the Carrie Nation Cocktail Club about the hatchet wielding woman in the photo, the bar's namesake.
1: Carrie Nation was a woman who was very much against alcohol. So she thought she was going to be God's savior and she was going to come to the rescue and save all the souls from alcoholism.
0: And so she would. A temperance go- crusader is not the most obvious mascot for a speakeasy bar. It's partly a joke, but it's also partly an homage. She
1: went around to the bars and would destroy anything she possibly could with her hatchet. And she was noted as saying, if I'm going to be photographed, I'm going to be photographed with my Bible and my hatchet.
0: It's a tribute to the larger-than-life story of one of history's most maligned and misunderstood figures, who's remembered largely as the ultimate fun killer. From Gimlet Media, this is Not Past It, a show about the stories we can't quite leave behind. Every episode, we take a moment from that very same week in history and tell you the story of how it shaped our world. I'm Simone Palanin. This week marks 103 years since the start of Prohibition, when selling alcohol was made illegal across the entire country. Talk about a dry January. But if you think the idea of Prohibition is crazy, just wait till you hear about the shenanigans that led up to it. Today, we're talking about one temperance movement activist who made it her life's mission to get America sober using any means necessary. Carrie A. Nation, the hatchet-swinging madam of temperance, breaks all the rules and a whole lot of glassware. That's coming up. It's a warm summer night at the turn of the 20th century. In the small town of Medicine Lodge, Kansas, the air is filled with the sound of clip-clopping horses pulling buggies across dirt paths. And inside a modest brick house, 53-year-old Carrie Nation kneels at the foot of her bed to pray. Carrie is a temperance activist, prim and proper in a tight bun and each night, her prayers are the same. She wants to rid the country of alcohol. This was the lead-up to Prohibition. States and counties across the country were starting to put restrictions on selling alcohol. Carrie's home state of Kansas had been dry since 1881, but in towns that bordered wet states, towns like Leavenworth, Caldwell, and Kiowa, they still sold alcohol in saloons. So on this particular night, Carrie clasps her hands together and begs God to use her to wipe out the corrupting scourge of alcohol. She turns out the lamp, goes to sleep, and as dawn breaks, right as Carrie's about to wake up, she gets a reply. She wrote about it in her autobiography. We got a
2: voice actor to bring it to life. I heard these words very distinctly. Go to Kiowa and I'll stand by you.
0: Carrie was like,
2: you don't got to tell me twice, my heavenly dude. I spring from my bed as if electrified, for I understood that it was God's will for me to go to Kiowa to break or smash the saloons.
0: Carrie was willing to do this because as far as she was concerned, the saloons had already stolen the love of her life.
1: She got married very, very young. They were kind of breathlessly in love with each other.
0: That's Mark Schrodd, a professor at Villanova who wrote a book called Smashing the Liquor Machine. And he says that Carrie's vendetta against alcohol started because of her first husband, Charles.
1: Charles Gloyd was a decorated surgeon during the Civil War on the Union side. They had a, a very loving, wonderful relationship.
0: Carrie and Charles had a whirlwind romance. Love letters, sharing poetry, Ah, to be horny in the 1800s. Charles was a big drinker when he met Carrie, but she was young and starry-eyed. They got married in 1867, and she continued to ignore his drinking until she couldn't.
1: He would drink uh, until the dawn, in many cases, at the local saloon, and uh, he died very young from alcoholism.
0: Less than two years into her marriage and six months after the birth of her daughter, Carrie became a widow. Though devastating, Carrie's story was far from unique. In those days, the mid to late 1800s, so many lives were being turned upside down by alcoholism. Asylums were filled with men suffering from alcohol psychosis. Hospitals regularly saw patients for dipsomania, the 19th century word for alcohol addiction, and liver cirrhosis ran rampant.
2: It was fully expected the American worker was not showing up to work Monday morning. I mean, we were on a national binge.
0: That's Tara Nuren, author of the book, A Woman's Place is in the Brew House. She says that in the 1800s, drinking culture in the U.S. looked very different. And around that time, the average American was drinking seven gallons of pure alcohol in a single year. That's like drinking nearly two bottles of whiskey every week and they were often drinking in saloons, which, by the way, were pretty terrible places.
2: Seedy, smoky, dark, dirty, people spitting tobacco on the floor. I mean, all your worst stereotypes, that's what saloons became.
0: The saloons of Carrie's time were wild with practically no regulations in place. Most states had no minimum drinking age. Many bars were open round the clock and almost exclusively served hard liquor. People got blasted. They could drink as much as they wanted for as long as they wanted. Oh, you know what? There was actually one
2: rule. In a lot of places, it was actually illegal for women to go into a saloon. A lot of local ordinances kept them out. But even
0: though, by and large, women weren't allowed in, this booze-soaked culture was affecting them and their families.
2: You know, so many men would just go to the bar right from work, drink away their paychecks, and that led to a lot of domestic abuse, child abuse, poverty, etc. And then
0: there were women like Carrie, who quite literally lost their husbands to the
2: saloon. And so it was really against that kind of backdrop that a lot of women really started to build conviction that a lot of society's ills could be solved if they just did away with drink.
0: In the 30 years after the death of her first husband, Carrie raised her daughter, and she got remarried to a man named David Nation. But the new Mrs. Nation never lost her conviction that without alcohol, the first love of her life would still be alive. In fact, her hatred of alcohol only grew stronger all the way up to that humid summer night at the turn of the century when Carrie pleaded with God
2: and finally got her divine reply. I understood that it was God's will for me to go to Kiowa to break or smash the saloon's
0: Almost immediately, Carrie began her preparations. She spent her days walking the roads near her house, picking up stones and pieces of brick that fit nicely in her palm. Here's Mark Schrod again.
1: And then she put them in like gift wrap so that they didn't, you know, arouse any particular suspicion. She had this all premeditated well in advance.
0: On June 6th, 1900, Carrie set off on the 25-mile horse and buggy trip to Kiowa, which had a dozen saloons for its 800 residents. When she arrived in the town center, she stepped down onto the dusty ground, approaching an illegally operating saloon along the main street. She pushed past the swinging doors and stood in the entrance. The men slumped on their bar stools, barely noticed, still drunk from a long night of boozing. The owner
2: looked up cautiously from behind the bar. Get out of the way. I don't want to strike you, but I'm going to break up this den of vice. Carrie whipped the
0: stones she'd collected across the bar. Some of the men jumped out of the way and cowered in the corner, but they weren't her targets. Carrie aimed for anything that looked breakable, shattering the saloon's mirrors, glasses, and bottles. Then, satisfied with the wreckage, she took off for the bar across the street, where she did it all over again. Then, in a third saloon, when a brick didn't do the trick of shattering the mirror behind the bar, Carrie looked around for more ammo.
2: I was standing by the billiard table on which there was one ball. I said, Thank God, and picked it up, threw it, and it made a hole in the mirror.
0: In a small town, news travels fast. By the time Carrie exited the third bar, a buzzing crowd had gathered outside.
1: It's like eight o'clock in the morning in this this bustling little rural town. This is obviously the biggest thing to ever happen in Kiowa, Kansas. And she takes the opportunity and makes something of a stump speech.
2: I have destroyed three of your places of business, and if I have broken a statute of Kansas, put me in jail. If I am not a lawbreaker, your mayor and councilmen are. You must arrest one of us, for if I am not a criminal, they are. Remember, selling
0: alcohol was already illegal in Kansas. These bars weren't supposed to be open in the first place. But still... Carrie had just busted up a lot of private property. So, town officials had to figure out what to do with her.
1: They huddled together and they ultimately decided that they weren't going to arrest her. They weren't going to press charges because she was right.
0: Carrie got back in her buggy and returned home to fanfare. News of her smashings in Kiowa made headlines across the state. And almost overnight, she became a celebrity in the temperance movement. This larger national movement to eradicate alcohol had been picking up steam since 1826, and Carrie was more than happy to be its mascot. At this point, the movement was largely being led by two groups, the Mostly Male Anti-Saloon League, and for the ladies, the Women's Christian Temperance Union.
1: The Women's Christian Temperance Union starts out in Ohio, and turns into a nationwide grassroots social organization that is probably the single largest social group in the United States throughout the 1800s and early 1900s.
0: The WCTU was an all-women's organization whose goal was to close down saloons where booze was already illegal and to achieve prohibition where it wasn't. And because they didn't have the right to vote, this was the early 1900s after all, they spread their message in other ways.
1: You know, women going and nonviolently protesting outside of, of saloons, trying to shame the saloon keepers into to closing up shop.
0: The WCTU worked towards prohibition and women's suffrage, but also other progressive causes. Acclamation for
1: immigrants, bridge building with labor unions, and workers' rights movements. WCTU ran huge kindergartens, which would allow women to work and and have their own source of income. That was kind of revolutionary.
0: And contrary to the picture you might have in your head of the WCTU as a bunch of mean, judgy old ladies, they took a surprisingly empathetic approach to temperance. They weren't going to bars to scold drinkers. They saw the men in saloons as victims, being pushed deeper into addiction by those who sold the booze namely the saloon owners. Carrie had been active in the WCTU for almost a decade. She even started her own local chapter. But unlike Carrie, the other ladies in the WCTU mostly went about things non-violently, writing petitions, calling their representatives, and going to saloons to pray for the men inside. So after Carrie's saloon-smashing spree in Kiowa, The WCTU basically handed her a yellow card and said, hey, cool it. The Kansas chapter president came to Carrie privately and asked her to make it very clear that the WCTU did not support her smashings. Carrie, however, was unfazed. She was less concerned about her standing in the organization than she was with how to make her next smashing even more destructive. Her husband made a suggestion.
1: David Nations just kind of quipped offhand that you know she could do so much more damage if she used a hatchet instead of these bricks. And she said, that's the most sensible thing you've ever said to me.
0: So a few months after Kiowa, in January of 1901, Carrie began attacking saloons with her new weapon of choice, a hatchet. And she went on a smashing tour from Wichita to Pittsburgh all the way to New York's Coney Island. Newspaper headlines followed her trail of what she called hatchetations. Carrie's hatchet left scars on Fox Township man at Wichita, Kansas, a unique woman with a unique mission. Hell's Eagle God sent her. Mrs. Nation stirs up a big breeze, departs in her usual hurricane manner. When Carrie arrived in the town, saloon owners knew what was coming. They board up their windows and even hang signs out front. All nations welcome, except Carrie. Wow, old timey burn alert. The negative press didn't phase Carrie. In fact, she saw a way to use it to her advantage. If everyone was gonna paint her to be some crazed fanatic, why not lean into it and build a brand around it? So in 1903, she changed her name, the spelling of it anyway.
1: It was Carrie, C-A-R-R-I-E. And then, when she gained some notoriety and fame, she changed it to Carrie with a Y, Carrie A Nation. And so the idea is that she was heading up this movement that would become a nationwide movement for the betterment of all humanity.
0: Carrie A Nation builds a brand and makes powerful enemies, including, of all people, Thomas Edison. All will be explained after the break. Greetings and hatchetations. Before the break, anti-alcohol activist Carrie Nation was on the warpath, smashing up saloons from coast to coast. Two years into her hatcheting, Carrie A. Nation had become a certified temperance celebrity. By 1903, she was putting out a newsletter called The Smasher's Mail, always signing off as Carrie A. Nation, your loving home defender. She sold little pewter pins shaped like, what else, hatchets. I mean, what's a movement without some merch, right? Part of the sale of these pins and newsletters went to bailing Carrie out of jail when she got arrested, which was often. Carrie was thrown in jail 32 times between 1900 and 1910. At first, she had her husband to bail her out, but in 1901, when Carrie was arrested yet again in Topeka, that was the last straw.
1: Their relationship didn't last very long after that, and he filed for a divorce.
0: Author and professor Mark Schrott again. But honestly, who needs a husband when you have a hatchet? Carrie kept going, no matter the repercussions.
1: She was threatened, she was chased. People hated her. You know, sometimes it did get really physical.
0: She had eggs thrown at her, a chair broken over her head.
1: She had an irate saloon keeper take a pistol and hold it to her temple and threaten to blow her brains out.
0: One saloon owner even sent his wife to punch Carrie right in the face, and he didn't stop there.
1: He hired a couple prostitutes to go and beat her within an inch of her life. And apparently she took the licks and stumbled into a local butcher shop and emerged a couple minutes later with a chop and held the meat over her swollen eye and then just kept going back to it.
2: Violent confrontations like this one didn't slow her roll. I am not afraid of your gun. Maybe it would be a good thing for a saloon keeper to kill Carrie Nation. Because what she really cared about was her divine mission. I would
1: be a martyr for the cause of, of temperance, and maybe that would elevate the cause even more than if I were, you know, if I were alive.
0: Shortly after she got punched by that one saloon owner's wife, Carrie went to plead her case against booze to the governor of Kansas. When she got to his office, she sat down, pointed to her face, and said, Governor, you gave me that black eye. But all the governor had to say in response was, you are a woman, but a woman must know a woman's place. They can't come in here and raise this kind of disturbance.
1: When she smashed up these bars, She says, you wouldn't give me the vote, so I had to use a rock. I would have used other options if I had them, but I don't. So here we are.
0: And here's the thing. Carrie's campaign of saloon destruction was working. Remember Kiowa, the site of her first smashing? Shortly after her trip, officials shut down the dozen saloons in town. Every single one.
2: All this put her in the
0: crosshairs of more than just saloon owners' wives. By calling attention to the dangers of alcohol, she wasn't just a threat to business. She was a threat to an entire system of power.
1: Every city of any size had what they called the liquor machine. If you wanted to run a saloon, oftentimes you needed to pay off the local police. You had to pay off the local politicians.
0: In the early 1900s, Bars weren't just places to grab a pint on a Saturday. They were epicenters of political power. Democrats and Republicans alike would hold their nominating conventions there.
1: The saloon keepers became sort of like the kingmakers in in many cases. So whenever Election Day would roll around, they'd drum up all the drunks and and get them to the polls and tell them which person to vote for.
0: If Carrie Nation was going to threaten this machine— The people in power were going to undermine her efforts by using every method available to them. In press coverage at the time, Carrie Nation was described as both frumpy and terrifying a lumbering, six foot tall, sexless monster. She was a threat, but she was also a punchline.
1: Oh, she was crazy. Oh, she was menopausal. She was half crocked and she thought that she was communing with God.
0: She became so well known that Thomas Edison, yes, the guy who gave us the light bulb, released not one, but two silent films about Carrie. And he cast a beefy male actor to play her.
1: She was kind of a laughingstock. The local press just kind of saw her as a nuisance and that this was something to be mocked, something to be made fun of. And it was overlaid with all sorts of misogyny that came with that time period.
0: All this might be why we remember Carrie the way we do, an unhinged, hysterical woman determined to stop male fun. She wasn't six feet tall, by the way. She was five foot seven at most. She also wasn't the caricature they made her out to be. Throughout Carrie's peak years, while she was off smashing saloons, she was also quietly advancing the many progressive causes championed by the temperance movement. She ran a hotel in her little Kansas town that offered free food and shelter to women and children who were struggling and often fleeing abusive men. And despite living in post-Civil War Kansas, a place that was deeply segregated, she didn't discriminate when it came to tenants.
1: And this often brought her into direct confrontation with other members of her community who did not like the fact that she would allow African-Americans to not only stay at her hotel, but to live there oftentimes for weeks or for months for free.
0: Over the course of her life, she also opened two women's shelters, the Home for Drunkard's Wives, the first domestic shelter in Kansas, and Hatchet Hall, a multi-generational female commune.
1: This Community for women to come together and help each other. It was kind of an old age home, but also a battered women's shelter. She was very much a trailblazer in a lot of these social justice issues.
0: Carrie A. Nation died of natural causes in 1911 at the age of 64, almost a decade before both prohibition and women's suffrage went into effect. Carrie was buried in a family plot in Missouri with an epitaph she wrote herself in advance. Carved into her tombstone are the words, she hath done what she could. On its face, it seems like a good thing Carrie didn't live to see Prohibition because it's largely remembered as a massive failure. Organized crime thrived and people continued to booze, They were just drinking much worse quality liquor now that a lot of it had to be made at home. It wasn't all a wash, though. The prohibition era acted like any good dry January is supposed to. American society took a break from alcohol, at least on the books. And after a 13-year hiatus, our national drinking culture actually did look, might I say, refreshed. Following prohibition, legislation solidified some of the regulations we know today. Liability laws to prevent over-serving. A minimum drinking age in every state. Women were now allowed to drink with the boys. And maybe more importantly, we were thinking a little differently about booze.
1: It really became kind of a new recognition only in this time period that there's more going on here than we thought So trying to figure out, okay, what are the social scientific ramifications of alcoholism, right? Arson goes down if we restrict alcohol. Can we see how much crime goes down? Can we chart these things?
0: This mindset shift, along with industry regulation, had real public health benefits. By the time Prohibition ended in 1933, there was a marked decrease in public drunkenness, liver cirrhosis, and alcohol poisoning certainly an improvement from Carrie's day. I remember learning about the temperance movement in school and thinking it was run by some killjoy control freaks wanting to impose their own value system on everyone else. After hearing Carrie Nation's story, I now know it's a lot more complicated than that. While the history books may have made her a caricature, She was clear about how she saw herself, your loving home defender, spreading her message with the only tool that got people's attention. Not Past It is a Spotify original produced by Gimlet and ZSP Media. This episode was produced by Olivia Briley. Next week, get your throwing wine ready, because we're talking about housewives from the Bravo universe and beyond. The rest of our team is producer Ramoy Phillip. Our associate producers are Nick Del Rose and Laura Newcomb. The supervising producer is Erica Morrison. Editing by Kelly Prime. Andrea B. Scott is our executive editor. Voice acting by Shelley Chenoye. Fact-checking by Jane Ackerman. Sound design and mixing by Emma Munger and Haley Shaw. Original music by Sax Kicks Av, Willie Green, Jay Bless, and Bobby Lord. Our theme song is Toco Liana by Coco Co. With music supervision by Liz Fulton, technical direction by Zach Schmidt, show art by Elise Harvin and Talia Rockman. The executive producer at ZSP Media is Zach Stuart pontier The executive producer from Gimlet is Matt Schiltz. Special thanks to Amory Sievertson, Tim Rayle Jr., and the staff and patrons of the Carrie Nation Cocktail Club. And to Lydia Polgreen, Abby Ruzica, Dan Behar, Jen Hahn, Emily Wiedemann, Liz Stiles, and Ariel Joseph. Follow Not Past It Now to listen for free, exclusively on Spotify. Click the little bell next to the follow button to get notifications for new episodes. And while you're there, hey, why don't you rate us five stars? You can follow me on Twitter, at Simone Thanks for hanging. We'll see you next week cheers to carry your temperance efforts were unsuccessful but you led to a bar that made this drink and it's
2: it's just great